I'm David Heitler-Clevens. And I'm Rodney Wittenberg. And this is Music for the New Revolution. Content warning, there will be explicit language in this episode. Hi, and welcome to Music for the New Revolution. My name is Sarah, and I'm interning for David and Rodney, and they so graciously have let me jump on the podcast for an episode. So today's theme is going to be social justice music by millennial and Gen Z artists. So all of the artists that I'll mention today are either millennials or Gen Z. So when I was thinking about the theme for today, I was thinking about what this whole podcast is about, which is answering the question, where's all the modern protest music? Where's all the modern social justice music? You know, where is social activism taking place in the music scene today? And I think that today, a lot of artists who may not even have political or socially um, social justice oriented music will take to the stage to express their opinions and push for social change. I think in, in the past, in history, there was this sort of shut up and sing mentality. You know, I'm reminded of, you know, Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock. He didn't give, you know, a, a big speech before playing the Star Spangled Banner about what it meant. He kind of let the music speak for him. Um, also, I'm reminded of the Chicks in 2003 when, when they called out President Bush um, during the Iraq war and they got blacklisted from radio airplay. They received death threats over, you know, kind of a benign comment. And I think so much has changed in, you know, the past 50 years, even the past 20 years. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about what happened at Glastonbury, um, a music festival in England, a really huge music festival this year. It took place on June 22nd to June 26th. And if you all remember, the decision that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned was announced on June 24th. So a lot of American artists took to the stage at Glastonbury to express their frustrations about this, including Kendrick Lamar. They judge you, they judge Christ. God speak for women's rights. They judge you, they judge Christ. God speak for women's rights. They judge you, they judge Christ. God speak for women's rights. They judge you, they judge Christ. God speak for women's rights. They judge you, they judge Christ. God speak for women's rights. They judge Phoebe Bridgers. Like, are there any Americans here? Who wants to say fuck the Supreme Court on three? One, two, three. Fuck the Supreme Court! Fuck that shit. Fuck America. Like, fuck you. Megan the Stallion. And I want to have it on the record that the motherfucking high girls and the high boys do not support this bullshit that y'all campaigning for. 
and Olivia Rodrigo. Devastated and terrified. And so many women and so many girls are going to die because of this. And um, I wanted to dedicate this next song to the five members of the Supreme Court who have showed us that at the end of the day, they truly don't give a shit about freedom. Uh, this song goes out to the justices, Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Cohen Barrett, and Brett Kavanaugh. We hate you. So some of these artists I'm not surprised by, especially Kendrick Lamar who often includes social justice themes into his songs. And Kendrick Lamar, this wasn't really a speech. He actually changed the lyrics of one of his songs, Savior, to include the Godspeed for women's rights. So he didn't give a speech. Um, And by the way, during that part, you should look up his performance of Savior online because the visuals for this are just as powerful as the words. He's wearing a crown of thorns and fake blood is dripping down his face as he is wrapping this in agony. It's very powerful. Olivia Rodrigo, I'm especially surprised about. So she's 19 years old. She's a former Disney star. And she only has one album out right now, which is about a failed teenage romance. So her music does not deal with social justice themes at all. She has a lot of younger fans. So I think she has a greater potential for alienating fans with comments like that. So I think it was really a bold move of her to speak out like that. And I think that just speaks to this culture shift that started in the late 2010s, in my opinion, with the proliferation of social media, there's this expectation for artists these days to be in in constant conversation with their fans via social media and to use their platforms to speak out about social issues. I think Taylor Swift is a great example of this because she is often quite conservative about what she shares regarding social justice on social media and has gotten lots of backlash from her fans time and time again to use her platform and speak out. And Taylor Swift has even cited in the past that the incident with the chicks all the way back in 2003 before she started her career really stuck with her and frightened her into not speaking out for such a long time. Even artists who do not make social justice oriented music these days are expected to be knowledgeable about social justice and share their thoughts about it online. Along the lines of artists speaking out on stage, I wanted to talk about the 1975, which is a band from Manchester, England. And their frontman, Maddie Healy, if you're familiar with the group, you know he's not afraid to explicitly, very explicitly speak his mind at shows. So I'm going to play a clip from a speech that he gave at Hangout Fest in Alabama from 2019. This was shortly after one of those strict abortion laws was made in the state of Alabama. You know, it's also important. Freedom for women to do with their reproductive systems what they want. Yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's easy, I get it. We're all on the left-hand side of things because we're at a music festival. I'm not preaching to you guys. I know that you are on the side of us. But this is going out to the internet and there's a bunch of fucking wrongers on the internet. I'll tell you that much. 
Also, two things interest me about this. Even though this guy is British and doesn't directly have a stake in American policies or politics, he felt the need to use his platform to speak on this issue. Additionally, his self-awareness about this culture that I was talking about really is so peculiar to me. In the speech, he mentioned that this was going on the internet and that's why he wanted to talk about it. The internet has changed the way celebrities interact with their fans. 20, 30 years ago, if Maddie had made this speech on stage, possibly only the people who were there would be the only ones who knew that that speech happened. I mean, maybe if he was somebody of the likes of Beyonce or Taylor Swift, it might make it into the paper or it might be televised. But really, these days, anything can go on the internet and everything does go on the internet and Maddie is aware of this, and that's why he made that speech. And the 1975's, you know, social justice-oriented things isn't limited to giving long-winded speeches on stage. I think the spirit of protest has really weaved its way into this band's aesthetic, um, from a European perspective, of course. You know, instead of drawing on Vietnam protest music and um, the civil rights era in America for um, inspiration... The 1975 draws a lot of its inspiration from the Situationist movement and the student revolts of May 1968. So 1968 was really considered a turning point in the Cold War. And in France at that time, in May specifically, there were a bunch of um, student and worker revolts against Charles de Gaulle and capitalism in general. And there was just this vague spirit of revolution and Around 25% of the French population was on strike for weeks. And, you know, a group that sort of inspired this revolt was the Situationist International. You know, they're active from the late 50s to the early 70s. Not, Not a political party, more of a political ideology group. They drew on themes of avant garde art and Marxism. And their main goal was to bring authenticity back to everyday life. So, The 1975 draws on this movement in a couple of ways. For one, they co-opted a lot of situationist statements. So the 1975's motto or slogan unofficially is La poésie est dans la rue, which is French for poetry is in the streets. This comes from a famous situationist slogan, La beauté est dans la rue, so beauty is in the street. And La poésie est dans la rue has been hidden in pretty much every piece of visual content that they've put out in the past decade. The 1975 has also made lyrical references to Guy Debord, who wrote Society of the Spectacle, which was a foundational text of the Situationist movement. Um, So they released an album called A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships in 2018, which coincidentally was 50 years after the May revolts. And so to promote this album, the 1975 did some promo posters with vague kind of situationist-esque statements on it, such as first disobey, then look at your phones, which is taken from a famous situationist slogan, first disobey, then write on the wall. So really, the 1975, you know, draws on this movement and this moment that was centered in, in youth being agents for change. And in this way, they kind of encourage their own listeners to be agents for change, you know, 50 years later. And I think this really culminates in 
one of the songs on that album called Love It If We'd Made It. So this song isn't a commentary on social uh, justice or social issues per se. It's kind of formatted like headlines, you know, just like listing a string of headlines of tragedies that have been happening in the world. And it doesn't necessarily ask the listener to think one way or another. It simply asks the listener to to look and notice the horrors that happen every day. Right now I'm going to play Love It If We Made It and do a little bit more commentary after.
Yeah. I think that song just does a great job of, of conveying the urgency and anxiety of living in such an uncertain and apocalyptic time. You know, it was true in 2018, and I think it's perhaps more so true in, in 2022. Um, the 1975 also conveys this urgency in their album released in 2020, and it's called Notes on a Conditional Form. Um, so basically, the intro song on this album is called The 1975. Every song, every album from the 1975 starts with this little jingle called The 1975. You know, usually it's the same tune with the same lyrics, just reworked differently to fit the sonic landscape of a particular album. But for notes, they did something completely different. It's an ambient, um, Brian Eno-esque instrumental um, with spoken word from Greta Thunberg on top. So I'm going to play the 1975 from Notes on a Conditional Form right now, and then we'll talk about it. We are right now in the beginning of a climate and ecological crisis. And we need to call it what it is, an emergency. We must acknowledge that we do not have the situation under control and that we don't have all the solutions yet, unless those solutions mean that we simply stop doing certain things. We must admit that we are losing this battle. We have to acknowledge that the older generations have failed. All political movements in their present form have failed. But Homo sapiens have not yet failed. Yes, we are failing, but there is still time to turn everything around. We can still fix this. We still have everything in our own hands. But unless we recognize the overall failures of our current systems, we most probably don't stand a chance. We are facing a disaster of unspoken sufferings for enormous amounts of people. And now is not the time for speaking politely or focusing on what we can or cannot say. Now is the time to speak clearly. Solving the climate crisis is the greatest and most complex challenge that Homo sapiens have ever faced. The main solution, however, is so simple that even a small child can understand it. We have to stop our emissions of greenhouse gases. And either we do that or we don't. You say that nothing in life is black or white, but that is a lie, a very dangerous lie. Either we prevent a 1.5 degree of warming or we don't. Either we avoid setting off that irreversible chain reaction beyond human control, or we don't. 
Either we choose to go on as our civilization, or we don't. That is as black or white as it gets. Because there are no grey areas when it comes to survival. Now we all have a choice. We can create transformational action that will safeguard the living conditions for future generations. Or we can continue with our business as usual and fail. That is up to you and me. And yes, we need a system change rather than individual change. But you cannot have one without the other. If you look through history, all the big changes in society have been started by people at the grassroots level. People like you and me. So I ask you to please wake up and make the changes required possible. To do your best is no longer good enough. We must all do the seemingly impossible. Today, we use about 100 million barrels of oil every single day. There are no politics to change that. There are no rules to keep that oil in the ground. So we can no longer save the world by playing by the rules. Because the rules have to be changed. Everything needs to change. And it has to start today. So everyone out there, it is now time for civil disobedience. It is time to rebel. What a way to open an album, dear God. Because it's the first song on the album, if you're going to listen to the album front to back, it like forces you to listen to this dire speech about climate action. You know, you can't run, you can't hide. Um, and I found that to be a very interesting way of incorporating social justice into their music. So speaking of international diplomats like Greta Thunberg, I want to talk about BTS next. So... BTS have been United Nations and UNICEF ambassadors. They've spoken at the UN General Assembly twice. Um, they were just at the White House in May talking about um, anti-Asian hate crimes. Um, and I think most Americans and English speakers who only know their songs like Butter and Dynamite might be surprised to find that BTS's work often has profound lyrics and content generally centered around social issues like self-love and mental health. A lot of their earlier stuff, I would say like pre-2016, um, has this general theme of, you know, youth empowerment, sort of like the 1975's message of rallying the troops. So I'm going to talk about one of their songs from their 2015 um, EP or mini album, whatever you want to call it. It's got about like seven or eight tracks, so it's kind of an awkward length. The album is called The Most Beautiful Moment in Life Part 2. The song is called Bapse. Um, the English title is Silver Spoon. So if you search for it on Spotify, Apple Music, just search for Silver Spoon. So this song is about class issues, specifically class issues in Korea. But I find that... It's relevant for class issues in, in the United States today. 
Um, so Bepse, the Korean title, does not translate to silver spoon. It, in fact, translates to um, parrotbill or crow tit. It's a, little, it's a little fluffy bird with really short legs, which comes from a Korean metaphor that says a Bepse following a stork will tear its legs. So it's a metaphor similar to the English silver spoon metaphor, you know, just pointing out structural inequalities. So keep that in mind. A Bepse following a stork will tear its legs. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play little snippets from the song and then I'm going to translate them and then we'll talk about them. So here's the first snippet. So it's, they call me Bapse. This generation has suffered. Hurry and chase them. Thanks to the storks, my legs are all swollen. So in this song, um, the storks are referring to the older generation, the people in power. Um, and the Bepses are referring to, you know, the working class and the millennials. Because this was released in 2015. So, so Gen Z was not in play yet as um, adults in the world. At a part-time job, it's passion pay. At school, there's the teachers. My superiors use violence. In the media, they go on about the generation that's given up. So I love the term passion pay. Um, it's like a Korean expression that talks about, you know, entry level or unpaid positions given to young people and, and you're paid little to nothing. And they say, well, you're, you're getting paid in experience. And gosh, I find that to be so true in the United States today with the prevalence of um, unpaid internships and the like. And I find this to be really classist because the people who can afford to have, you know, unpaid or underpaid labor, you know, usually have some financial support and some wealth on their backs um, so they can take these opportunities. And that in turn propels them forward in the workforce, whereas working class people or middle class people with no wealth bank might have to choose jobs that will pay them, which often might not be the jobs that they want or the jobs that will get them ahead in the career they desire. And then the whole line about in the media, they go on about the generation that's given up. It makes me think of the the trope of millennials. Um, oh, millennials can't f- afford houses because they're spending too much money on avocado toast and, and $7 lattes, which simply is not the reason why millennials can't afford houses. So from these first two snippets, it's really evident how this song is influenced by BTS's age as millennials, you know, it really reflects their generational experiences. You know, the 2008 global recession really affected millennials who were coming of age at the time and entering the job market. And BTS was clearly affected by this and and wrote a song about it. So without further ado, here's the third snippet. Change the rules, change, change, the storks want to maintain, but I can't let them have it. Bang, bang, this is not normal, this is not normal. So, 
this snippet says, stop going on about effort and more effort. It makes my skin crawl. Like, uh, try harder, try harder. I have Bapse's legs, you have Stork's legs. They say my legs are worth a million dollars, but how can we compete in the same sport when mine are short? They say it's fair if the field is the same. I think this snippet really points to systemic inequalities in in regards to class. You know, it's fair if the field is the same. Well, if my legs are short and your legs are eight feet tall, it's not really that fair. Um, It makes me think of how the cost of living has changed and how it's harder for young people to afford to live than it was for baby boomers when they came of age. In 1983, the median household income was around $21,000. Today, it's about $67,500. So a new house in 1983 was about 3.9 times one's median household income. In 2021, a new house is 5.6 times the median household income. In 1983, tuition to Harvard was 38% of a median household income. In 2021, 78%. All in all, this really just points to it's more than just working hard. Class differences and inflation have just gotten worse since the 1980s. And I think about this a lot as a young person who's about to be entering the workforce, and it's really depressing to me. And this song really conveys that well, especially with the pre-chorus where they say, uh, stop going on about effort. It makes my skin crawl. It's not about effort. It's not about trying hard. I think this idea ties really well into American culture with the American dream and the myth of the meritocracy in which there's this common belief that anybody can make it in America if you work hard, which totally ignores inequalities of class, race, gender, and generational differences. And I think there comes a day in many Americans' lives when one realizes that the American dream is in many ways a lie, and realizing that America and the United States is not all that great at times. I think this, you know, this reminds me of how history classes are taught. American school children are taught a very, very whitewashed history. I think this is a common theme in other countries as well, not just the United States. Just only teaching children parts of history that paints the country in a good light. So I want to play a song by Declan McKenna, which talks about this concept of of realizing your country isn't all that great. In this case, the country is England. And the song is called British Bombs.
landslide Killing with your hands tied In the homemade road set sail Baby, read it in the mail No hope now And it's a total fucking whitewash Set sail for wherever the fuck got oil this time And if it's not a fucking war crime It's a total waste of your time And getting so much worse, get real Kid, your country's been at war since birth So British Bombs is both an anti-war song and it's about realizing that your country, this idea one has of one's country is a lie. In the case of England being a colonial power, committing acts of violence, etc. So Declan McKenna is 23 years old and he's really known for his social justice oriented music. One of the first songs he released that is his most popular song by far is called Brazil. So Declan McKenna wrote Brazil about his frustrations with the 2015 FIFA Cup in Brazil. So I'm going to play an interview that was done several years back where he explained the motivations behind this song. I mean, why, did you, why did you write that song? What inspired you? Um, I wrote it around the time of the World Cup last year. Um, it's about a year ago. I, it was just sort of on my mind at the time when I was writing it. Uh, I just sort of was thinking about the bad side of of FIFA and, and football as a whole in the world at the moment. I mean, what's particularly struck you about that, about the bad side of football? Uh, just, as, well, especially with the South African Brazil, just how a sort of country which is sort of terribly poor in some places and terribly rich in others, uh, people who were the head of giant corporations could come in, make loads of money for the rich people in the form of the World Cup and the Olympics and leave the rest of them. Oh, it's an unusual subject matter for any um, songwriter. Where do you get your inspiration from? All sorts. Generally. I mean, when there's not really much going on my, in my life, I'll generally look well, to... Well, you've got GCSEs going. Oh, yeah. Enough. <laughs> well, yeah. But you can't really write about maths exams and stuff, so I generally would go along the lines of what's in the news, what, what, I'm, what I'm thinking about, what, what I want people to talk about, what I want people to hear from me, and what I want people to know that my views are, and I'll make that clear. So I find it funny that the interviewers were like, what an unusual topic to write a song about. 
And then Declan's response, he was like, well, I'm, I write what I'm thinking about, what I want people to talk about, and I want people to know what my views are, and I'll make that clear. You know, at the time of this interview, the kid was 16. A lot of older generations think that young people are immature and unconcerned with the world, but here in the case of Declan McKenna, you see quite the opposite. You know, he's not thinking about writing songs about puppy love or they were talking about the GCSEs. He's, he's writing songs about real world issues that he's thinking about. Another song of his I want to highlight is Bethlehem, which talks about how certain religious people use religion to justify hateful behaviors. Because I'm in Bethlehem I've got to see it ever heavily related to that song when it came out because of my religious background. So I grew up Catholic, and I went to Catholic school until I went to college. And I was taught some pretty interesting things in religious spaces growing up, particularly at school. So some of the craziest things that I had been told throughout my Catholic education included the classic being gay isn't a sin just to be gay, but it's a sin if you act on it. Um, I was also told by a religion teacher that people in countries and cultures where Christianity um, wasn't present and, you know, people wouldn't even get the opportunity to learn about Jesus, they, they were totally ignorant, um, I was told that those people would go to hell. Um, in the seventh grade, I distinctly remember we would have a little prayer time and everybody would raise their hand and say something they wanted to pray for. And... One of my friend's pets was dying. And so naturally, she raised her hand and was praying for her sick and dying pet. And my seventh grade teacher looked her straight in the eye and said, pets don't have souls. They don't go to heaven. We can't pray for them. And so naturally, she ran out of the room crying like, geez. Um, and then in high school, I found it really interesting. We actually read the nitty gritty of, of the Catholic doctrine which outlines so many exclusionary policies, especially surrounding sexuality and sexual activity. And reading all those rules made me realize um, that all, all those things for the Catholic Church, it's just a political move to get more people in the church. Like, homosexual people can't have babies, contraception prevents babies, and, you know, we want more Catholic babies to spread the religion. So we're going to make all these rules to have more Catholic babies. So I believe Rodney talked about this in a previous religious episode, how Jesus's actions in the Bible didn't match the words of the religious educators in his life. Jesus was super loving, accepting of the outcasts. And here you have religious leaders judging and condemning and guilting people out of the wazoo, which is a total contradiction. And being told this can be so alienating to many marginalized groups, specifically queer religious people. Um, there's actually a great song by a millennial artist, Troy Savon, featuring Betty Who, about this struggle with religion as an LGBTQ individual. And it's called Heaven. Truth runs wild like a tear down a cheek. 
So I think that's just such a beautiful song. And Troy Sivan actually got his start on YouTube, which is another example of young people using 
these new platforms to gain popularity and this importance of social media. So some of my favorite songs by Troy Sivan are My 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 and Bloom, which are actually just love songs about queer joy, essentially. And I think LGBTQ people making music about their experiences, even if it's just a silly love song, will continue to be revolutionary until being queer is is no longer a marginalized identity. I think a great song that expresses this queer joy is Make Me Feel by Janelle Monet. So I'm going to play that now. Baby, don't make me spell it out for you. All of the feelings that I got for you. Can't be explained, but I can try for you. Yeah, baby, don't make me spell it out for you. You keep on asking me the same questions. And second guessing all my intentions. Should know by the way I use my compression. That you got the answers to my confessions It's like I'm powerful with a little bit of tender An emotional sexual bender Mess me up, yeah, but no one does it better There's nothing better That's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make me feel song it makes me want to get up and dance like Michael Jackson every time and it's just so joyful and so fun and Janelle Monet and all these artists I mentioned today were always on repeat throughout my teenage years I think their lyrical substance talking about these social issues really helped me form my personal identity in relation to social issues 
they really put words to things that I had already been feeling and cared about. And on the other hand, they also inspired me to care more about these social issues. I want to end with what I think is the anthem that can be applied to social justice issues. If you're looking for a 21st century rallying song, protest song, this is it. And it's My Power by Tierra Wack, Beyonce, Moonchild Sanelli, Nija, Busiswa, DJ Leg, and Yemi Alade. First off, the song is very Ngom influenced. So Ngom is a type of South African house dance music. It involves a lot of repeated beats, uh, almost like a dong, 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 dong. I feel like they always have that sort of beat. Usually there's a lot of repeated words. So it's almost like a meditation and a rhythmic chant. And that's why I love it. It's so easy to get into a groove too. And my power takes those two things, you know, the repetitive beats, the repetitive words that sort of pull you into this, this powerful trance. And that's what I think makes this song a great song for rallying, for protests. It's a great song for Black Pride and also just a great anthem for any marginalized group. I love the confidence in this song. There's a level of fierceness and pride and an overall global sound that this song has. So without further ado, I'm going to play My Power. Take my grace, keep it locked in the safe. Don't make me get back to my way. 
It's my power they never take. Don't know good take my power. That's all I have prepared for today. Thanks so much to David and Rodney for having me on the show. And thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Music for the New Revolution. I'm Rodney Wittenberg. I'm David Heitler Clevens. Music for the New Revolution is produced at Melody Vision Recording Studios in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. You can find us at musicforthenewrevolution.com or MFTNR. Like us on Facebook and follow our Spotify playlists. And our podcasts can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. And you can also be a patron, a supporter of our podcast on Patreon. This is Music for the New Revolution. Never worry about the torture. They're telling you that you will never see the horror. Spend it all today and we will build you tomorrow. 